Welcome to the podcast. This episode is a bit unusual because we don't have a guest. I just wanted to spend a few minutes talking with you about our new book from Kainos Press uh, entitled Lo Ami and subtitled Christian But Not God's People. I just wanted to give you a, a little bit of background that helps you understand where that book comes from, what it's about, and how I hope it helps us put some handles on what it means to be disciples of Jesus Christ. I was raised Southern Baptist. Dad pastored and preached in Southern Baptist churches for 60 plus years. Mom led the women's mission groups in all the churches he pastored. And like a lot of kids raised in church, I made my profession of faith in Christ at a very young age. As I grew in my faith and learned more about Jesus' teaching, I was troubled by the fact that 90% of the church members around me thought witness and mission were optional. Good things to do, but not necessary to being a Christian and being saved in the end. The prevailing opinion was that you accepted Jesus so you could go to heaven instead of hell, and everything else was nice to do, but not necessary. I also was disturbed that, except for our church activities, all us church people were pretty much like everyone else around us. In public, we lived just like everybody else. In private, we indulged in many of the same pleasures, too, and we hoped, like heck, the preacher or our wives didn't find out. In my late teens, God called me to ministry, and I began to study the Bible more closely. I read a lot more of it, and I discovered big chunks of the Scripture I had never even heard mentioned in church. I came across a lot of things Jesus said that I found shocking compared to what I'd been taught. And that was nothing compared to when I started reading the Old Testament prophets, who laid out very clearly what God required of His people and really tore into Israel for their disobedience. I learned that Israel suffered awful consequences for joining their pagan neighbors in their wicked religious practices and for refusing to live the way God told them to live. Then I realized that the Old Testament prophets' warnings were echoed all through the New Testament too. Then I realized that just as I hadn't understood what it meant to be God's people, 90% of our church members didn't understand it either. I also understood that we weren't hearing the warnings about our own worldliness and our failure to live the way God required His people to live. I realized that while we all called ourselves Christian, hardly any of us, myself included, were living like God's people. So that's where the book came from. I wanted us to see past the Christian label we all wore to understand what it meant for us to be God's people and to understand the danger we were in for failing to obey the commands our Master had given us. There were four key Bible passages that connected the dots for me in all of this. Genesis 18, 18 and 19. Genesis 17, 9. Galatians 3.7, and John 14.23-24. First, Genesis 18 explained the covenant in a way I hadn't ever heard. It said that God had chosen Abraham so that all his generations would live righteously and do justice, so that they could be blessed and be a blessing to the nations. I saw for the first time that living like God's people was required. God chose His people to be a godly light in the pagan darkness, 
And if they were living in the darkness like everyone else, God couldn't accomplish his mission of bringing the pagans out of the darkness. Then, secondly, Genesis 17 added another punch to it. Uh, Another version of the covenant. God said to Abraham, Your responsibility is to obey the terms of the covenant. You and all your descendants have this continual responsibility. All your descendants have this continual responsibility to obey the terms of the covenant. And the terms of the covenant were to live godly lives that would be as different from everyone else as light is different from darkness. I definitely had not heard that before, but there it was. Third, what Galatians 3.7 did was hardwire me into that continual responsibility of Abraham's children to obey the terms of the covenant. The Apostle Paul told the disciples at Galatia, the real children of Abraham are those who put their faith in God. If I wanted to receive the blessing of salvation, if I wanted to be part of God's mission in the world, if I wanted to be a faith child of Abraham who truly trusted God, then I had to accept the responsibility of obeying the terms of the covenant, living righteously, doing justice, and being fundamentally different from the worldly society around me. Fourth, in John 14, 23 and 24, Jesus laid it out in really stark terms. All who love me will do what I say. Anyone who doesn't love me will not obey me. Now, in the churches of my youth, we never talked about obedience. We talked about sin and grace and forgiveness. We never said that God had any other expectations or requirements of us than that we believe that Jesus was the Son of God, that He had died for our sins, was raised from the dead, and is coming again. We talked about salvation, but we never talked about what Paul called the obedience of faith. You can see that in Romans 1.5. I had heard Luke 9.23, where Jesus says to the crowd, If any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, deny yourself in some translations, take up your cross daily and follow me. But I don't ever recall hearing Luke 14, 27, where Jesus says, if you do not carry your own cross and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. And I promise you, Daddy never preached a sermon out of Romans 11, 17 to 24, where Paul talks about the people of God as an olive tree. He says, The natural branches, Israelites, were cut off because of their disobedience and refusal to follow Jesus. And that wild branches, Gentiles, had been grafted in their place. Then he says in verses 20 to 23, Don't think highly of yourself, but fear what could happen. For if God did not spare the original branches, he won't spare you either. Notice how God is both kind and severe. He is severe toward those who disobeyed, but kind to you if you continue to trust in his kindness. But if you stop trusting, you also will be cut off. Now, as frightening as that passage was to me as a disobedient young man, what terrifies me now is that 90% of our church members are just as disobedient as I was when it comes to living godly lives and joining God's mission of taking His light into the dark lives of the people He's placed around us. 
I think the most fundamental disobedience in our lives as Christians is rooted in two of Jesus' commands. The first is Matthew 28:18 to 20, where he tells us to make disciples of all nations. I think it would be interesting to ask church members, do you see yourself as a Christian or as a disciple? I suspect most of us would be reluctant to say we are disciples. It's a lot easier to identify as a Christian. Today, Christian can mean almost anything you want it to mean. But I also suspect most of us would be hard-pressed to point to anything we do on a regular basis that would constitute making disciples. The second command is Mark 12:31, where Jesus tells us to love your neighbor as yourself. I wondered not only if I was doing anything to love my neighbor, but I pondered all the ways I love myself, and I knew I didn't love anyone else as much as I love myself. I think the most powerful explanation of that command came for me in Matthew 25:31 to 46, which we call the sheep and goat judgment. That's where Jesus ticks off some examples of loving your neighbor, like helping the hungry and clothing the naked, and caring for the sick and visiting those in prison. We all know that those who weren't doing those things were sent off to join the devil and his angels in hell. In most churches, I would be afraid to ask for a show of hands whether people could say they were personally involved in doing things like that on a regular basis. But I didn't want to end the book and leave people hanging out there feeling guilty about our worldly lives and our disobedience to Jesus' commands. I felt I needed to leave us with some handholds for becoming disciples of Jesus. If you're going to talk about being a disciple, you've got to talk about disciplines, because disciplines are what make you a disciple. So I included a chapter on five basic spiritual disciplines that we need to integrate into our daily habits so we can truly be disciples of Jesus and experience the abundant life God has in store for us as disciples. First of those disciplines, very simple, the Bible. That's about taking small steps that get the Word of God into our daily lives. The second discipline is prayer. That section's about three insights on prayer that completely changed my prayer life. The third discipline is relationship. And we don't usually think of relationships as a spiritual discipline. But the truth is that most Americans are lonely, especially when it comes to dealing with important life issues. And we need to be intentionally developing the kind of relationships with others that allow them to open up to us about those life issues. Fourth is speaking grace and truth. Now, ordinarily, we might call this spiritual discipline witnessing. But a lot of our witnessing comes off pretty much like a sales pitch. And I want to encourage people to think of it in terms of those relationships we develop and speaking words of God's grace and truth into people's lives when God gives us the opportunity. The fifth is doing justice. Now, most of us feel hinky about the word justice because of the way it's used by social activists. But even fewer of us can explain what God means by justice or why Micah 6.8 says God requires us to do justice. If God requires it, we need to get a handle on what it is 
and start doing it. The prophets warned disobedient Israel that God's patience had worn out, and he was being forced to punish them. And because their disobedience was so egregious, the punishment was going to be harsh. The armies of Assyria and Babylon were going to destroy Israel, and the people who weren't killed were going to be carried off into exile in foreign lands where they would be slaves of the pagans who owned them. God was doing this because his people repeatedly had refused to obey the terms of the covenant. They had broken the covenant, so he was terminating it. To symbolize that, he had the prophet Zechariah write the word favor on his staff and then break the staff in two in front of the people. And then there's Hosea, who was a prophet God commanded to marry a prostitute named Gomer, who symbolized Israel's unfaithfulness to the Lord. God told Hosea to name one of their children Loami, which means not my people. The Lord told Hosea, they are not my people and I am not their God. So that's where the title of the book comes from. And it's really the heart of the message that God has put on me. Today's church is filled with people who call themselves Christian, but their lives show no evidence of being disciples of Jesus and obeying his commands. Unlike Israel, God has not had to exile us to a foreign country as punishment. Instead, our exile has come to us. By our failure to make disciples, we've allowed our own country to be overrun by pagans. And if we don't get serious about being disciples of Jesus who make disciples of Jesus, we'll find ourselves living as their slaves, just like the Israelites who were carried off to Assyria or Babylon. But the Lord's placed a second message on my heart, and it's a message of hope. That message is, it's not too late. We often quote Second Chronicles 7.14, but I think we quote it without realizing how powerfully it's speaking to us as Christians who have not been living as disciples of Jesus. The verse says, If my people, who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sins and restore their land. I think that's the message of the hour for quote-unquote Christians in America, to recognize that our lives really are no different than those of our pagan neighbors, to confess that we're not living like the people of a righteous and just God, to admit that we are not obeying the commands of the Christ we say we love, to repent of that wickedness and ask God to forgive us and give us another opportunity to make disciples who make disciples who make disciples until he has healed our land and his name is glorified from one coast to the other.